This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Janice Dean. I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm Harris Faulkner. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, September 25th, 2023, on Mike Emanuel, this is the week Congress must pass a government funding extension by Saturday or risk a government shutdown. But key Republicans are warning a shutdown would be a political loser for the GOP. The speaker is correct. We would be blamed because of that handful of, of members of our own party that um, seem to be determined, as Kevin McCarthy says, simply to burn the building down and create havoc. Mississippi Republican Senator Roger Wicker is the top Republican on the Armed Services Committee. I'm Lisa Brady. Illinois makes history by abolishing cash bail, but that doesn't end the debate. Folks looking at it around the country realize that what happens is you have more criminals put out there on the street. And I'm Dr. Mark Siegel. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. It is crunch time for Congress as the end of the fiscal year is this coming Saturday. Lawmakers must work out an extension or risk a government shutdown. Ohio Republican Congressman Jim Jordan says he favors a 30-day extension to buy more time. But Jordan is one of a growing number of lawmakers asking questions about sending more money to fund the war in Ukraine. No one can ever answer the fundamental question, what is the goal? What is the objective from, from what, is it to get Russia out of the eastern Ukraine? Is it to get them all the way out of Crimea, which they've had since 2014? They took when, when President Obama was uh, with their administration? Yep. What is the objective? And that's after Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky made the rounds on Capitol Hill last week. Meantime, the crisis at the southern border has hit record levels in terms of migrants pouring across the border. Texas Democratic Congressman Henry Cuellar says it's time to step up enforcement. We need to stop playing defense. You can send more National Guard. You can send more active members. You can add more. But think about what they do. Think about the images you saw there. What happens when they get the border? Once they touch the riverbank, they can claim asylum. And we know that 89 to 90 percent of them don't even qualify. Cuellar represents the border state of Texas, but now a number of Democrats far beyond the border are taking notice of the crisis. This after some conservative governors have sent migrants to major liberal cities. Well, I think the reason we keep hearing that um, the the last few weeks is that the border crisis has has become obvious to people in in the big cities. Uh, Nick Durbin represents Chicago. Uh, The the, uh, just like that, that the mayor of um, New York has become very outspoken that there is a border crisis. We hear this from Los Angeles, too. Mississippi Republican Senator Roger Wicker is the ranking Republican on the Armed Services Committee. And uh, it, it strikes me that cities that formerly 
proclaimed themselves as sanctuaries are now realizing that uh, it's just impractical to to take that position. This is a strain on infrastructure, on the uh, police, on the uh, public safety and public transportation um, systems, not only of uh, those of us down in, in the southern part of the country, but also around the nation. So uh, there's a there's a change of heart, which amounts to some sh- some shared sacrifice, but uh, it may result, and uh, perhaps it will result in in some sort of suggestions from our friends on the left about how to solve this problem because it needs to be solved. Uh, Mike, this is this is a problem almost entirely of Joe Biden's making. He campaigned on an open border. The transition uh, after the election was all about that. And from day one, the signal that went out to the world, whether he meant for that signal to go out or not, was that the border is open. Um, Come on up to the United States. That's the message that uh, people seeking um, a a better way of life um, in America heard. And they came in droves Uh, Mm -hmm. at the same time. We uh, uh, the, the administration canceled the actual the Obama remain in Mexico policy uh, that um, that had had been um, added during uh, during the uh, Trump administration and 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 every step that was publicized said come to the United States come across the border and you can make it and um, and that's the reason we have the crisis I know it's also on, on the um, on the mainstream media uh, when you turn on network news now it's not just the cable companies but it's network news across the board they are calling it a border crisis now so there's definitely a change of heart in terms of the mainstream media that this crisis is actual uh, actually happening and actually real and to be clear, you believe that the president and his administration have the power, have the authority to enforce our border, but uh, they're pointing the finger of blame at, oh, Congress needs to pass more legislation. If if members go to the border, as I have done, as many, many members have done, the Border Patrol will tell you they want to do their jobs. If, if we will simply let them enforce the law, they can have a real effect, and uh, this crisis can be lessened. Um, if we will go ahead and install those huge segments of the wall that have already been manufactured and are waiting there to be installed, that will lessen the crisis. So, um, I mean, there's, a, there's something you learn when you go down to the border and talk to the people that have done this for a living for years, and they'll tell you, they want to enforce the law. Maybe we need some changes. I'd be willing to talk about better enforcement and more tweaking. Mm-hmm. But actually, what this administration has done, they have segments of the wall that are ready to be installed. And instead of doing that, the federal government under the Biden administration is paying people to store these walls. We have paid millions and millions of dollars to um, landowners to simply store the wall so the Biden administration can say they haven't built uh, any additional wall. I learned this on a trip to Eagle Pass earlier this year, and and that's why uh, we have in the National Defense Authorization Act that they finish it act which says the Biden administration must either install those segments of the wall 
or deliver them to state or local governments to um, to install themselves. Uh, if, if we pass the National Defense Authorization Act, that will be a mandate on the Biden administration to do that. In, in response, the administration unbelievably has been selling these segments of the wall off for pennies on the dollar as if uh, they were army surplus or something like that. It's, it's really uh, another example of this administration having a policy that is absolutely backwards and counterproductive. Let's turn to your portfolio as the top Republican, the ranking member on the Senate Armed Services Committee. You had President Zelensky of Ukraine visit Washington, visit Capitol Hill. Uh, What are you hearing from colleagues in terms of continuing to fund the Ukraine war effort when you know that some Republicans are starting to get a little antsy about continuing to write checks? If you had asked Americans two years ago, before all this broke out, would would you favor a policy to weaken the Russian military, to even devastate the Russian military without sending a single one of our young men and women to fight and um, and um, risk their lives in combat um, for for the sum of a hundred billion dollars, more or less? I, I think uh, almost every member of Congress would have said yes. That would be. That would be a, a terrific result. One of our pacing threats, devastated, no longer able to threaten anybody else. Well, it, that's basically the opportunity that that Putin unwittingly gave us. And, and indeed, after a year and a half of this war, um, Russia's military is devastated. They're still a threat, no question about it. And they still have nukes, no question about it. But... Um, I think it is in our national interest that Russia is no longer quite the threat that it was to NATO. And and, um, and, and also, I, I think we, we can make the case with the facts, and the facts are now that our European friends are carrying more of the financial burden than we are. Um, some of the talking heads I see on television are, are just, they're way behind in terms of, of what the actual numbers are that the um, the europeans also our asian allies like japan and australia and south korea are helping uh to to the extent that actually uh, the united states contribution is less than half of what's going over there to help a sovereign nation defend its border and and preserve um, preserve the rule of, of law that's been in place for 50 years and also honor our obligation that we made to to, to uh, Ukraine when they gave up their nuclear weapons. Uh, we said, we'll be your friend, and uh, we'll protect you and help you along with our NATO allies if you'll give up nuclear weapons. They did that, and there is a great value in the United States um, keeping its word and being, being known to be steadfast for mm-hmm. keeping an obligation. In a speech to the U.N. General Assembly, Sergei Lavrov, Russia's foreign minister, says the United States and the United Kingdom are, quote, directly at war with Russia. What do you make of that? Well, it's the sort of thing that the foreign minister of uh, Putin's Russia would say. It's exactly the sort of rhetoric we would expect from them. Um, He is the servant um, uh, of Vladimir Putin, Mr. Lavrov, and... um, and, and um, there's not a thing that he says that, that you can be trusted. Um, we are doing what we ought to be doing in our national interest. Um, 
the the defeat of Russia and the preservation of of historic borders uh, around the world is in the United States' interest to the extent that Russia learns its lesson here and doesn't try this again. Um, the United States and our people and our taxpayers will have um, gained uh, a great burden. We are heading into the final week of the fiscal year, uh, heading for a funding deadline. People are asking, are we heading for a government shutdown or do you see a way out of a potential disaster? We certainly can avoid this. And and let me say, my hat is off to um, the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. He, he is doing his level best. We've known since January when... Uh, we had ballot after ballot after ballot to get him elected that it was going to be very, very difficult. He, but uh, in a divided Washington, D.C., with a Democratic mm-hmm. president who has to sign the bills, but they don't take effect, and a slightly Democratic Senate and a slightly Republican House of Representatives, there's just no way around the fact that, that I'm not going to get everything I want. and uh, And there's going to have to be some uh, some accommodation, but what I think we can get is um, some stronger border protection, um, some better assurances to the American people that the funds we are expending in Ukraine uh, are are being thoroughly vetted by the inspectors general, and uh, and um, some sort of of, of direction toward. Um, lower uh, domestic spending. So uh, I think we can we can get some victories out of this, but I can tell you it would be devastating to our military mm-hmm. to have even a continuing resolution, but it would be doubly devastating to have a government shutdown. I think it's, um, and, and frankly, the speaker is correct. Um, we would be blamed because of that handful of, of members of our own party that um, seem to be determined, as Kevin McCarthy says, simply to burn the building down and and um, create havoc. The ranking member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, Senator Roger Wicker of the great state of Mississippi. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Have a great week. Thank you, Mike. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Dr. Mark Siegel with your Fox News commentary coming right up. Cash bail is now a thing of the past in Illinois, the end of a system that critics say punished people for being poor and disproportionately affected minorities. The implementation of the Pretrial Fairness Act will make Illinois the first state in the country to remove the price tag from the presumption of innocence. Tanya Watkins is executive director of Southsiders Organized for Unity and Liberation, or SOUL. It's economic justice. This is racial justice. And quite simply, this is an issue of fairness. Her nonprofit is part of a coalition that's been fighting for reform for years. Watkins says changes six years ago in Cook County paved the way, showing that pretrial jailing could be reduced without increasing the number of people missing court dates or being rearrested while awaiting trial. 
anyone who suggests criminals will automatically be released from jail or print fake newspapers about the purge law, ladies and gentlemen, they're being disingenuous. State House Speaker Emanuel Chris Welch says under the new state law, Illinois will no longer criminalize poverty. But a few states that have tried bail reform ended up changing it. New York getting perhaps the most attention for rollbacks after an outcry over release of repeat offenders. And though the intention is to not release dangerous defendants or those who would be a flight risk, critics of reform remain concerned about the level of discretion for judges. In Illinois, detention will be considered when prosecutors request it. And and though advocates dispute it, critics also argue that posting bail is an incentive to show up for court dates, since bail money is returned to a defendant once their case is over. Cash bail is when a person who has been accused of a crime go before the court. Ted Williams is a former D.C. police detective, defense attorney and Fox News contributor. The judge has it within his discretion to let the person out on what is definitively called personal recognizance or have them to post bail, simply meaning that they have to come up with a certain amount of money. Or normally it's 10% of the actual bail. Let's say a person had to post a bond for $1,000, or that person would have to come up with perhaps maybe $100. And that cash bail is primarily to ensure that the person return to the courts. Now, with this cashless bail proposed, you know, what is the main idea behind that? Is it is it to have a system that's more fair for people who don't have the cash for bail? Well, Lisa, that's definitely one of the focuses of cashless bail. But with cashless bail, what takes place within the system is that it is believed that Individuals who are very poor cannot make the bail, so they wound up in jail. And it is believed that those who have a large sums of money or who consider rich, that those people can get out. So when it comes to cashless bail, there's an equity matter that the courts are looking at. Right, and I, I think the other idea behind it is you're not talking about, you know, an accused murderer, for example, right? It's supposed to be considered for people who maybe have been arrested for lesser crimes, facing lesser charges. But this has become kind of a lightning rod for criticism around the country. And why is that? Is Have there been that many cases of people who were let out on cashless bail who then went and did violent things? Folks looking at it around the country realize that what happens is you have more criminals put out there on the street. And uh, one of the things, Lisa, in our society that we're all concerned about is being safe from crime. And what we found in Illinois, and if you look at specifically the Chicago area, there is a great deal of crime that takes place. I can tell you on any given weekend, you have at least 50 60 or more individuals shot uh, in just Chicago alone. So what folk who are for cash bail say that it will make those individuals perhaps return to the court to face the charges. And what the individuals are concerned about is that folk will not return uh, to face charges uh, before the court.
But what we have found here is that this new law, the abolishment of cash bail there in Illinois is uh, number one, if you can find that public safety is concerned, then there is not gonna be a person let out on bail. If the person is a flight risk, the judge has it within his discretion now to keep that person locked up. Uh, but if a person, let's say, is charged with a misdemeanor, uh, petty larceny, stealing, uh, that person now will not have to put forth uh, money in order to get out of jail. And so what the proponents of the abolishment of cash bail are saying is that it makes the system more equal. Yeah, and supporters of the law say, you know, judges do have this discretion, um, at least for certain cases. You know, will they have enough discretion, in your opinion, or should they be allowed to have more discretion for all types of cases? Well, I think I can tell you as a lawyer, I've always been concerned about the little person, unfortunately, not being able to make bail. And remember, we're talking about individuals who have not been convicted of a criminal act, but an individual who has been charged with a criminal act. So taking that into consideration, I think it's good to give judges more discretion uh, as it pertains to letting individuals out on the street. Now, again, if you're an ex-murderer or if you've uh, killed several people, it is well within the judge's discretion to keep violent criminals locked up. You know, getting back to that argument that some people make that, you know, if they don't post bond, then defendants really have no incentive to return to court. Um, what about just the possible repercussions of not showing up in court, especially if the original charge was nonviolent? Um, you know, not following through and making your court dates um, if you were released without bail um, could really mess up your life, right? Is, is that not incentive enough to go back to court? Well, it is incentive enough for some, uh, Lisa, to return to court when they are let out, or let's say, as we're going to find now in the future on their personal recognizance. But you have a criminal element out here that no matter what you do or say when it comes to giving them a bond, uh, they will uh, not return. Or uh, what is happening in this is, normally happens, should I say, is that when a person put forth a, a bond, they normally go to a bail bondsman. And by the way, that's another group in Illinois that's now out of business, bail bondsmen, because that bail bondsman will put up a certain amount of money with the court for you to get out, and that bail bondsman will get a percentage of the amount of money that they charge the criminal defendant to get him or her out of jail. And now, with the abolishment of uh, cash bonds, the bail bondsman is no longer a middle person. The average citizen out here realizes that they are individuals who will not return to court, who will not, once they've gotten out on their personal recognizance, do the right and proper thing, and they will go back to 
other criminal acts. And that is the concerning factor here of letting these individuals out of jail early on without a bail. What are the alternatives to bail? Would it be ankle monitors? Is that not something that's cost effective when you're dealing with these lesser charges? I think there's going to have to be more study. Uh, Ankle monitors do, in fact, at times work. But uh, remember, we're talking about mothers and fathers who have had to put their homes up for their kid to get out of jail. And so when you ask what is the answer, uh, I don't think anybody knows the answer. We are still somewhat feeling in the dark when it comes to letting individuals out who have not been convicted of a crime. There are many, many studies that are going on. And this was one of the reasons that law enforcement in Illinois fought tooth and nail to try to keep uh, individuals uh, either locked up, that they had to post a certain amount uh, of bail or money to get out. And that's no longer uh, in play in Illinois. So it is very, very controversial, I must say to you, Lisa. What about the rest of the country? Is this something that law enforcement continues to fight in other states or have rising crime rates in recent years kind of diminished these proposals across the country? You know, Lisa, sadly, I wish that rising crime rates would have diminished uh, uh, the decision makers uh, in these various states as it pertains to letting individuals out without a bond. But I can tell you it is not. Uh, if you really sadly look at what's going on in America, I think you'll find that criminals have more rights than law-abiding citizens. And it seems as though the criminal justice system is more slanted and bent to looking out for the rights of uh, criminals rather than law-abiding citizens. I am not saying that everyone that gets locked up is going to go back out on the street and commit crime. But we have found that there is a strong uh, minority in this country that will, in fact, go back out on the street after having been locked up and will commit crime again. So I guess the jury will be out for now, right, so to speak, on, on what happens with this new law in Illinois. And um, and the rest of the country will, will be watching. Ted Williams, former D.C. police detective, defense attorney, and Fox News contributor. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Lisa. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, former President Donald Trump will host a campaign rally in Somerville, South Carolina. Tuesday, a strike vote will be held by members of the Culinary and Bartenders Unions, representing thousands of hospitality workers on the Las Vegas Strip. Wednesday, Fox Business Network and Univision host the second Republican presidential debate at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute in Simi Valley, California. 
Thursday will deliver the first House hearing into an impeachment inquiry of President Joe Biden. Meantime, the CEO of Hawaiian Electric will appear on Capitol Hill for a House committee hearing into the deadly Maui wildfires. Friday marks the end of an era for Netflix. The streaming giant will send out its last red envelope for a DVD rental. Saturday, a court ruling will require cigarette makers to begin displaying signs at U.S. stores warning about the dangers of smoking. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Matt Napolitano, Fox News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Dr. Mark Siegel, what's on your mind? With the possible exception of cosmetic plastic surgery and dermatology, The world of medicine involves managing imperfection rather than aspiring to perfection, staving off the pathology of illness and death as long as possible, not worshiping a transcendent ideal. We doctors know too much to worship a perfect body. The psychiatrists among us call this worship narcissism and strive instead to help patients accept themselves as they are. In this sense, social media and internet applications are often our enemy. It was and is far too easy to attack, to bully, and to marginalize others who can't hear or see you. The COVID pandemic made the problem far worse as people were isolated in their bunkers and their cell phones and social media became their main method of communication with others. It wasn't healthy, and the anxiety rate reflected it. Teenage girls were particularly susceptible. According to CDC data, almost two-thirds of teenage girls experienced deep periods of loneliness and unhappiness in 2021, and one-third of teenage girls actually contemplated suicide. That's right, one-third contemplated suicide as emergency room visits for mental health reasons among teens rose and rose. It would be too easy to blindly invite increased governmental oversight and regulation, wouldn't it? But this knee-jerk approach would likely need to more rebellious rejection and not improve the problem at all. I agree with Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy, who I have interviewed several times and who emphasizes overcoming loneliness and restoring connectivity as a way to provide an alternative to the unhealthy draw of social media platforms. Particularly concerning, by the way, is TikTok. I also admire the efforts of Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia, whose Right Help Right Now program is attempting to battle the growing alienation and mental health crisis worsened by the imposed isolation of the pandemic. He told me in a vivid interview for Fox News last week that this isolation, quote, is only exacerbated by the intrusion of social media in every aspect of so many Americans' lives, families, communities, and in-person friendships where our children, teens, and young adults learn to accept and love each other, warts and all, are the best weapons to fight the pseudo-perfection of the internet and social media that is seducing and damaging our precious treasure. In New York, Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News. 
You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Dana Perino. Join me for my brand new podcast, Perino on Politics. As we analyze the 2024 election cycle, make sure you subscribe to this series on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts and leave me a rating and review. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.